And it is good to be back in God's house again, amen? It's especially good to have Brother Attic here on annual leave, amen? He gets two church services today, that's a bonus. There's one thing worth overdosing on, it's church. Amen. We're going to continue this morning with our life class. And I uh, just realized I didn't stick my little slide up that I normally do. Sister Kerry, do you want to do that for me? Thank you. Can you continue on with part three? And uh, we're going to do part three and then part four next week. And once I've done part four, I'm going to update our YouTube channel. And I'll put them on YouTube as well. So if you've missed some of these and you want to go back and watch them, you can. We've been talking about following Jesus. Amen? That's the one. You got it. We've been talking about following Jesus. And in the first week, we talked about the temptation of Jesus in the garden. And we're talking about the early part of Jesus' ministry. And in that first week, we spoke about how when Jesus was faced with temptation, he didn't respond with supernatural power, although he could have. He didn't just snap his fingers and make everything right again, although he could have. But Jesus chose to set the example for us. Amen. What did he do? He spoke God's word. He used the very same tool that we have at our disposal every day. Amen. So we know when we face temptation, when we're facing things in life that are wanting to pull us away, we can use the exact same tool that Jesus used. Amen. And we also understand from the stories of Jesus going through that temptation is that we should expect to have temptation. Amen. If Jesus, as the Son of God, was going to be tempted, why would we be any different? Amen. We will be tempted as well. But Jesus set the example and said, look, you need to use my word. Amen. And my word will help you be victorious. Amen. The Bible says that his word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. It's alive and powerful. Amen. And then last week we spoke about how Jesus was rejected, right? The same Jesus, the same guy, the same supernatural power, but when he was in Nazareth, they rejected him. But when he went to Capernaum, they accepted him. Amen. But Jesus didn't allow the fact that he was rejected to stop him fulfilling the purpose that God had given him as a man. Amen. And so the lesson for us from last week was the same thing. Amen. When we decide that we are going to live for Jesus, we are going to face opposition. And we will face rejection. But we shouldn't allow that rejection to hinder us. See, it was Jesus' hometown, his family, his friends, everybody who knew him as a little boy growing up that rejected him. Amen. But Jesus went to Capernaum and they accepted him. And so we shouldn't allow rejection to hinder us and to stop us. Amen. So we're going to continue on this morning, talking about the early part of Jesus' ministry. We're going to read from Luke chapter 5, and we will get to chapter 6 by the end of it, but don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's good to see everyone that is here this morning, amen, and um, It's good to see our church filling up a little bit as well. Amen. 
people are starting to come back. It's so good to have Sister Nancy back. We missed you, Sister Nancy. Amen. And good to have Sister Neela with us as well. Amen. And her auntie, good to see you too. Amen. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, And it came to pass, as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering him, verse 5, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and their net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land... They forsook all and followed him. Amen. Let's skip down a little bit further, down to verse 27 of chapter 5. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi, a tax collector, sitting at receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But when the scribes and the Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. And the last little passage I want to read this morning is in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. This is kind of setting the scene of everything we're going to talk about. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Peter and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealotus, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Amen. Amen. Today, we're going to be talking about choosing to be a disciple. Do you realize that you have to choose to be a disciple? You're not just a disciple by mistake. You're not a disciple by some accident. You have to make a conscious choice to be a disciple. Amen. Now, a few years ago, there was a lawsuit that was bought by a couple of missionaries against a uh, major global church, a very big church, two missionaries. They bought a lawsuit. One of them was complaining that while he was on the mission field, he had developed digestive issues and ulcers because of the food that he had to eat while he was, while he was overseas. And so he was claiming that the denomination had to reimburse him for what he had lost. The other missionary had claimed that because she was in a subtropical environment, she had developed a skin cancer. And so she was suing the denomination for 
um, you know, for, for that, for the loss of her health and her skin cancer and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as the leaders of the denomination met to try and come up with some sort of a legal defense against this, one of them commented that it was so heartbreaking that despite being willing to give their lives for the gospel, now that push had come to shove, they wanted to sue their church for not looking after them. But it does make you ask the question, to what extent, as believers, should we be willing to give our lives for the gospel? At what point do we turn around and go, well, no, that's too much. I don't want to give that. At what point do we say, yeah, no, that's just too far to go. I don't want to give that anymore. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Amen. You know, the Bible uses the word disciple and shows the importance of being a disciple. And as believers, we want to be disciples. But sadly, like with most things that we don't really understand, we sometimes use the label without really actually looking into what does it actually mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to choose to be a disciple? You know, many people can be a parent, but that doesn't make you a good parent. Amen. It takes training and it takes help and it takes instruction and a willingness to learn and family and grandparents to help you out. Amen. It doesn't just magically happen. Trust me, I know. Right? Jonathan did not come with a manual and I'm still complaining. Amen. Right? Parenting's hard. Right? You've got to study and learn. Being a disciple is hard. You have to study it. You have to work. It's a calling. Amen. And so as we look at these first disciples that Jesus called and look at how Jesus taught them, I think it's going to help us get a a healthy sense of what it means to be a disciple. Amen. And, And what does God actually expect of us? Right? Because God has expectations of us as disciples. You're looking at me like I'm preaching a false doctrine. God has expectations of us as disciples. Right? He said, take up your cross and follow me. It's an instruction. Amen. Amen. So as we go through what we read this morning, back in Luke chapter 5, one of the first things I think I see that leads someone to becoming a disciple of Jesus is the characteristic that's mentioned in Luke chapter 5 verse 1. It says this, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, It's interesting, you know, because the Bible very clearly says that they pressed upon him to hear the word of God. They didn't press him because they wanted to see signs and wonders at this stage. That was going to come. They didn't press upon him because he was some famous person. They didn't press up to him because they wanted to be with the crowd. But the Bible says they pressed into him because they had a hunger to hear God's word. Amen. The word of the Lord meant so much to these people that they pressed up against Jesus so hard to see and to hear him. Amen. You know, these were people that had other things. You know, they they had to put aside their business for the day, put aside their family for the day, put aside their other commitments for the day, put aside everything that society was expecting of them for the day, and they had to push into Jesus and everyone was gathered in just to hear the Word of God. It was a consuming passion for them, amen? And the Bible tells us that as their spiritual hunger began to push Jesus into a place of physical danger, He found a solution. Rather than letting the mob push him into the water, the Bible tells us he rose above it. He called Simon Peter. And he said, I'm going to get into your boat and I want you to push out. Right? And it's, if you could imagine it, it's kind of like using the most advanced sound system in the world at the time. 
You imagine a lake like this with hills leading down into the lake with crowds of people sitting around the hill like that and Jesus on a boat. Right? His voice is being amplified up the hill across the water to everybody who's hearing him, amen. And so if speaking from the boat across the still waters was a form of public address, I guess that kind of made Peter a little bit like the first sound man we ever read about in the Bible. Right, because his job was to make sure the boat was at the right distance. He didn't want to get too close to the shore, but he didn't want to get too far away from the shore either. So Peter was kind of maneuvering the boat and keeping it in the right position so that Jesus could address the crowd. Amen. Peter gladly used his workplace because that's what the boat represented. The boat represented Peter's workplace. Amen. And he used it for the ministry of Jesus, and he used it for ministry. He used it to serve. Amen. But saying a person should press into the Word of God, because that's just easy, everyone should press into the Word of God, it may not stir the right motivations. Hello? Reading the Bible out of guilt or a sense of duty cannot compare to being drawn to it by a spiritual hunger and a love for the God of the Word. See, this is the thing. We don't read the Word of God just to tick a box. We don't read the Word of God just to satisfy some religious obligation. We don't read God's Word because we want to make the pastor happy. But we read God's Word because we want to know the author of the book. Amen. We want to have a relationship with Him. Amen. It's funny, you know, yesterday, Sister Janie and I, we were cleaning out our garage. It's a bit of a mess. And I opened up my, my filing cabinet and I've kept all the cards that Sister Janie has given me every single anniversary. I found the very first card she gave me on my first year anniversary. It's like, I can't think, it's like 14, 15 years ago now. Amen. And I read it and it was beautiful and it was good and it made me feel happy. But what is more important to me is not just what's written on the card, but the person who wrote the card. Amen. That's the one who's important to me. And I read the card because it represents the relationship I have with the person who wrote the card. Amen. And it's, it's the same thing with God's word. We don't read God's word to tick a box. We read God's word because we are desperate. We are hungry to have a relationship with the author of the word. Amen. And that's what these people wanted. Amen. They wanted to know God. Nobody told these people to come and see Jesus. Amen. They didn't have billboards up. Jesus wasn't advertising on the radio. He didn't pay a fortune for a TV ad somewhere in Galilee. Amen. But people wanted to see him. Word had gone out and they said, I want to go see this Jesus. I want to go hear what he says. There was a hunger in their hearts. Amen. And, and I think the truth of the matter is, is that if we struggle to desire to hear from the Lord via God's word, then we need to revisit the wonder of who God is. We spoke a little bit about this last week. I'm going to say it again. If we struggle to connect with God through his word, then we need to revisit the wonder of who God is in our life. Well, last week we spoke about why did the people in Nazareth reject Jesus? Why? He was the hometown boy. Everybody knew him. They had drifted into complacency and comfort. They knew who Jesus was. They knew his background. They knew his story. They knew who his mom and dad was. They knew that time that Jesus threw a ball and broke their window. They understood all that. And so Jesus was in a box for them. Amen. We have to be able to revisit the wonder of God's word. Amen. And the wonder of the God of the Word. Amen. And the closer we are to God, the more alive His Word is going to be when we read it. Someone say amen. Amen. Now here's the other interesting thing that I see. Jesus didn't come just speaking random facts. 
He didn't just speak random information. His message brought transformation. It, was, it would not be enough for him just to speak, but he came with power to meet real needs. Amen? How do we know that? Because Jesus moved from speaking to the crowd to turning around to Peter and saying, Peter, let's go out. Put your net down for a drought. Let's go catch some fish. Peter's been out there working all night. He's got a need. He needs to put food on the table for his family, amen? See, Jesus is not just about just a nice feeling and just nice words, but Jesus will meet needs. Jesus will meet hearts, amen? Jesus will repair and restore, and this is what he was going to do for Peter. And the Lord's solution was, well, Peter, let's go back out. Let's go catch some fish together. And Peter explained how fruitless his efforts would be. And, and I want you to picture the scene here. Peter's not some novice. Peter's not the guy who goes fishing on the rocks and dislocates his fingers. He's an expert. Right, Brother Raddick? It's his job. It's his livelihood. He knows what he's doing. And here's Jesus, who, if you remember, is not a fisherman. He's a carpenter. What does a carpenter know about fishing? Probably not a whole lot. And the carpenter says to the fisherman, look, let's go out and fish again. And the fisherman, the expert, says, look, we've been out there all night. We go out at night because nighttime is when we catch the fish. We don't catch them during the day. But as skeptical as Peter was, he said, but at your word, we will go out and do it. And, and maybe he thought that it was a little bit ridiculous, but when he did, as he was instructed, Peter was amazed because the fish who were eluding him all last night seemed to all swim into his net all at the same time. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe Peter was a bit embarrassed about that. Sheesh, I'm meant to be the expert and I've missed every single fish in this whole lake the entire night. And here comes Jesus the carpenter, who doesn't know anything about fishing. And I let down a net and we catch, you know, every fish within a 50 kilometer radius, it seems. Hello? <laughs> but that embarrassment probably gave way to amazement as Jesus had shown himself more powerful than Peter in the man's own domain. I'm going to say that again to you. Jesus showed himself as more powerful than Peter in Peter's own area of expertise. See, here is the thing. We get our head all up thinking we're experts in this and we're amazing and we know what we're doing and we've got it all figured out. But it's not until we surrender to Jesus and he comes into our life and we realize actually he's more powerful than me on my best day. He's more powerful than me when I've got it all together. When I feel like I'm going great and I'm going amazing amazing. Jesus is still better. Jesus still has more for me. Jesus still wants to teach me something. Amen. Peter got into that boat thinking, ain't nobody going to ever teach me anything about fishing. I know everything there is to know about fishing. I learned it from my dad who learned it from his dad. And Jesus, you're a bit crazy saying, go let down a net. This is my world. This is what I do. And Jesus walks out and Jesus is more powerful. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you think it's all together. I still know better than you because I am God manifest in the flesh. Hello? Amen. And when Peter realized that he was unworthy of his past, when Peter realized he was unworthy, he just said, get off my boat. You can't even be on the same boat as me. Amen. I'm not worthy. Amen. And perhaps, you know, that could have been handled a little bit better by Jesus, but he did do one thing right. Right? He called Jesus Lord. There was something even in that instant that Jesus, that Peter recognized in Jesus, this guy is Lord. 
He's not just some carpenter. He's not just some dude who happens to be able to draw a crowd and speak to people. But this guy is powerful enough to meet my need. And anyone who is powerful enough to meet my need in an area where I am good, then he's going to be Lord. And that was the correct response. And that's got to be our response as well. Do we call Jesus Lord? Not just in word, but in our actions as well, in the way that we live our lives. Amen? Is he really Lord of all of our lives? Or do we have little areas where we think it's okay and we're under control and everything's okay? We don't need your help, Jesus. We've got this sorted out. Is he really Lord? See, I would submit to you today that he is not Lord of your life until he is Lord of all. Amen. It's been said either he's Lord of all or Lord of nothing. There is no halfway ground with Jesus. Amen. But Peter recognized that Jesus was Lord. Amen. Now, it's interesting that Jesus didn't take offense at what Peter said either. Right? Peter's like, dude, get off my boat. I can't be in your presence. And, you know, Jesus' response was very gracious. I like to imagine that Jesus probably laughed. <laughs> That's so funny. Right? But Jesus said, fear not. You're going to be fishers of men. Amen. That's verse 10. He said to Peter, to James, John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Amen. See, Jesus' response wasn't knee-jerk because Jesus was preparing Peter for a new trade. Peter didn't know it yet, but he was about to get a career change. He was going to go from being a fisherman to a fisher of men. Amen? See, I think before we step into what God has called us to do, we have to give Him what we think is our best and allow Him to rule that before God will ever step into what we want, He wants to step into in our life. And that's what Peter was learning. And, and Peter was not the only one overwhelmed in that moment, right? Yet Andrew, James, and John were all there as well. And Jesus said, you're going to be fishers of men. But here's the interesting thing. Look at the response. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. You see, Peter, James, and John show us how to do discipleship correctly. The Bible says they forsook all. Just let that sink in for a moment. Let that sink in. They forsook all. The trade that Peter had learned from his father, who had learned it from his father, the boat that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation, carefully maintained and patched up over the years. And by the time Peter got it, it was probably a whole new boat several times over because every single part had been replaced and repainted and patched over and over again. And yet, in one encounter with Jesus, Peter turns around with James and John and Andrew. And the Bible says that they forsook all. They left it all on the beach. They left behind any income that they had ever known. You know, history kinds of tells us that as fishermen, they, they were earning above what the normal average wage would have been. Fishermen actually did pretty good for themselves, but they, they left it behind. They left behind an established business. They left behind a social identity. They left behind the stability that the job gave them. And they just said, look, we don't know, but we're going to follow you, Jesus. They forsook all. You know, when Jesus calls his disciples, he calls them to forsake all. When he called the fishermen, he did not say, would you like to follow me 
He didn't say, what would you like to give up so you can follow me? There's a few things you might have to get rid of if you want to follow me. No, he just said, follow me. The command was there. Leave it all behind and follow me. Amen. He chose them to leave everything behind. And many people will not be able to serve the Lord until they let go of their comfort zone. We get so comfortable with our life and so sorted and so settled and everything's working okay and we've got it all figured out and, and we have a little God space over here and a little personal space over here and a little business space over here and God is trying to say, hey, if you want to be a disciple, you have to be willing to lay it all down. You have to be willing to give it all up. The job you've got, you might have to let that go. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But the point is, is you have to be able to say to Jesus, Lord, I am willing to forsake it all amen anybody who loves something more than the lord will not become the person that god wants them to be amen amen there's a story about a husband and a wife not me because i don't have a horse but this lady had a horse and the husband and the wife started coming to church and uh, over time the husband's heart became soft to the Lord. He came to the altar. God filled him with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized. The wife was baptized as well, and she began to see the changes in her husband, right, as, as he began to live for God and as his life started to turn around. And, and she hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit, and she was praying and praying, God, why won't you fill me with the Holy Spirit? And, and, and the pre God spoke to the preacher once when he was praying for her after many months of seeking the Holy Spirit, and God said, she's got a horse. And she loves the horse more than me. And so he spoke to her and her husband said, God told me you got a horse and you really love the horse. And the husband was devastated because he said, she's not going to get rid of the horse. She loves the horse. Amen. And the story goes that about a week after that, the horse suddenly got sick for no reason whatsoever. And she stayed up with it for like two weeks trying to nurse it back to health. And eventually the horse died. But she came to church that Sunday and God filled her with the Spirit. Because the thing that was standing in between her and a relationship deep with God was this horse. Amen? Now, I don't know what it is in your life. And, and I've got things in my life that I'm working on. But we have to make sure that there is nothing in our life that stands between us and loving God well. We've got to have nothing in our life that stands between us and stopping us serving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Amen? Amen. That's what Deuteronomy 6, 5 says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. There is no two ways around that. You can't give 80% to God and keep 20% for yourself. You can't even give 99% to God and 1% for yourself. It's got to be all given to Jesus. He's got to be the king. He's got to be number one in your life if you want to choose to be a disciple. Amen. Amen. You know, in that day, very much like the present, they say there is two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. And even in that day, there were still two things that were certain in life, death and taxes. And Jesus comes up. Where was it? Verse 27. After these things, he went forth and saw a publican, a tax collector, Named Levi, sitting at receipt of custom. You know, rulers would have people who would collect taxes for them. 
And uh, what the Roman Empire would do is they would outsource their tax collection. It was a horrible profession. Right? Nobody, I mean, nobody likes the tax office anyway today. I mean, you know, but back then it was even worse. At least here in Australia, we see our tax money actually doing something with it. Amen? Usually. But back then, you know what they would do is they would, they would have a bidding war. They would say, all right, we need to raise, let's just say, $20,000. Um, we'll use dollars. $20,000 of tax from this region. And Brother Attic says, I will raise 24000 Oh, well, Brother Attic will give you the job. And then Brother Stan says, no, 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 no. I'm going to raise 30000 Well, we will give you 30000 then. And then someone else says, I'm going to raise 40000 So the Roman government says, well, you've got the job. So he goes, and what does he raise? He raises 50000 because he gives 40000 to the government and keeps a little extra for himself. Right? The tax collectors were incredibly wealthy people. Amen. And they were not very well liked. And so often these tax collectors would set up little booths, right, and little places where they would collect tax. So the fisherman would come in with his catch, and he couldn't even go past to the tax collector to get to the market to sell his fish before the tax collector's going, come on, pay up. Rome needs their taxes, and I'm here to collect. Right? But notice that even though this guy Levi would have been despised and hated, Jesus still called him. See, Jesus calls people from all walks of life and all backgrounds and all stories and all kinds of history and all kinds of nationalities and cultures, amen. And you know this is my little soapbox that I stand on and preach on from time to time. We are to be a multicultural church. We are to be a church that reaches every single person we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen. It's not exclusive, amen. It's not just for people who have done the right thing by God, but it's for everybody. It's for whosoever will, amen, for the promise tells us in Acts 2.39 is unto you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So Jesus rocks up and he says to Levi, come on, follow me. And this guy gives up his profession. I mean, he's just breaking in the dough and he gives it up to go follow Jesus. But here's the thing that jumped out at me. Peter would have paid taxes to that guy. <laughs> How do you think Peter would have felt? Hold up, Jesus. I'm happy to come along, and my brother Andrew can come along, and, you know, James and John, they're my business partners. They're pretty upstanding fellas. You could bring them along. But this Levi dude, uh-uh. No, 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 no. That guy's a charlatan. He's robbed me and my business partners so many times. We've paid more tax than what I even thought was possible. And here you are, and just saying he can follow you too. You see, Jesus calls people into the kingdom. Sometimes we might not get on with them in the flesh, but that doesn't mean the gospel's not for them. You know, I've been in church where we've had people from like Croatia and Serbia worshiping God together, two countries that have traditionally had a lot of friction between them, and yet they are in church worshiping God together, amen, because the gospel is not exclusive. The gospel is not just for any one person. It's not for anyone who's good or just for anyone who's bad, but it is for everybody, amen. And so Peter and Levi have to kind of patch up their differences, as it were, and follow Jesus together because Jesus gave them a new joint purpose, amen. Amen. 
So Matthew followed Jesus. Here's the other thing that's interesting. And this is just, just things that popped into my mind as I'm teaching, you know. Levi was working when Jesus called him. Peter was working when Jesus called him too. Peter had been out all night. Now, how would you like it if you'd been up all night and pastor said, hey, special service first thing in the morning, come to church. That's what Jesus was doing. This guy's been out fishing. He's working hard all night long, and then Jesus decides to have a church service in his lake on his boat. Peter doesn't mind. He just wants to serve the Lord. Amen. But it is interesting to note that both of these people are working, right? There's something here to be said for being a disciple. We need to be busy in the kingdom. We need to be working. We need to be doing what we can to lift the load and to help out. Amen. We want to serve God. We want to live for God. But so often we are waiting for some big thing that God wants to do for us. We're waiting for some big announcement and some big plan that God has. And God says, hey, I want you to sweep the church first. Can you get busy sweeping the church first? Hey, I want you to teach in Sunday school. Can you get busy doing that first? And it is when we are busy doing the work of the kingdom, that's when God can use you. That's when God can call you. That's when God can take you into a higher purpose. But while we sit back and we wait for the big jobs, hello, God says, why can't I use you? You're not busy. You're being a lazy disciple. I need you to be busy in my kingdom, amen? So they were both working, amen? A lazy disciple is not really a disciple at all, amen? A true disciple must have discipline, amen? Amen. So Matthew left it all, and he followed Jesus. Matthew is another name for Levi, Levi, in this gospel, another gospel, he calls him Matthew. Amen. Amen. And Jesus is no respecter of persons as well, because this is the other interesting thing we see. In uh, 5 and verse uh, 31, Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but those that are sick. See, not only did Jesus put Peter and Levi together, two disciples, the religious scribes and Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, were quite upset with Jesus because he was sitting with a publican and having a meal with Matthew. And that was a big no-no. These guys were traitors to the Roman Empire, amen. They were traitors to the Jewish people, rather. And so they began whining about him spending time with these people. And Jesus explained to him his values. He said, those that are whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. See, here's the thing with discipleship. First we follow Jesus, but then we serve others. Right? We are not saved to sit with the comfortable folk in our comfortable church. We are saved to make a difference in the lives of people out there who are hungry and thirsty, amen. And, and if, if believers, if we settle into this kind of comfort zone where we're very happy just going to church on Sunday and just that's kind of it, we are missing the whole point of why we were called, amen. Because the whole don't need a physician, but the sick. 
right? The whole purpose of our faith is to be self-replicating. The reason that we were saved is to lead others to Jesus Christ. The reason we were called is so that we can serve. The reason that we have been saved is so we can reach other people with the same message that saved us, amen? And when we fall into our little comfort zone, we miss the whole point of our faith and we shut our faith off from the very people who need it the most, amen? Now, we all live for God here, right? And that's great, and that's wonderful, and you're an encouragement to me. But how much more of an encouragement is it when you put your arm around someone out there who's hungry and thirsty and broken, and they don't know what to do, and you say, hey, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Let me tell you my story. Let me share with you how God saved me, how God turned my life around, how He set my feet on solid rock, and I'm living for Him. Hallelujah. That is why we are saved. Amen. If we shut out those who need our faith the most, we're not disciples. Amen. But we are called to make a difference in the lives of people. Because Jesus seeks for and loves all people. And his word tells us that he offers salvation to whosoever will. The Bible says he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Woo, better hurry up. Jesus explained to them that he had not come to focus on those who had their lives all together. Or even those who felt they had it all together. But Jesus came to transform those who were hungry. Those who were hurting. Those people who kept making the wrong choices. That is our purpose as a church. We are not here to just patty cake for Jesus and have a nice time. We are here to help people come to the Lord. To find Jesus for themselves. Amen. As we get ready to wrap up, we're kind of getting close to finishing Luke, Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. The Bible tells us that Jesus went into a mountain and prayed and continued all night in prayer to God. In prayer, the Spirit can shape our mind and shape our understanding. And it wasn't until after an all-night prayer meeting by Himself that Jesus called his disciples, identifying 12 of them as apostles. Now, the truth is, is Jesus is still calling disciples today. But the very first thing he does is he calls us to follow, us, follow him. And then some people represent him in some public capacity, perhaps. But none of us escape from the call to follow Jesus. I do find it interesting that Jesus chose 12 and named them apostles. We spoke about this last week when I preached. But oftentimes in Scripture, the Lord will change someone's name to reflect a person's new identity. You remember last week we spoke about Jacob and his name was changed to, to Israel. And, and, and we like to refer to our spiritual identity as our calling. And every single person here, under the sound of my voice, has a specific calling for each of us. Right? God does not deal in statistics. Right? God does not deal in large batch numbers. God doesn't look, look, go and say, okay, well, there's a couple thousand people there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them you know, preachers, and there's a couple thousand people over there. I'm going to make them missionaries, and there's a few thousand people over there. I think they'll make great floor sweepers at church. No. God has a specific calling and a specific purpose for every single person. God knows every single heart, every single mind, and God knows exactly where you are at and where He wants you to be, amen, and what it's going to take to get you there. Amen. 
And there was one particular notable change in one of the apostles. Luke chapter 6 and verse 14 says, Simon, whom he also called Peter, you know, the name Peter means the rock. And, you know, in, in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus addressed Peter. He says, I say unto you, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we know that the rock that Jesus is referring to here is the revelation of who Jesus is, amen, but it plays off the name that Jesus had given Peter right from the very beginning when he identified that he had a calling as an apostle, amen. He confirmed Peter's calling to declare who Jesus was to the world. And we know he did that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, amen. But God has a specific calling for each of us, amen. Some of you might become preachers. Some of you might become pastors. Some of you might become apostles or are apostles. Some of you might become missionaries. Some of you might become Sunday school teachers. Some of you might sing in church. Some of you might run the soundboard. Amen. God has a specific calling for each of us. And as a disciple, it is not our responsibility to tell God, God, this is what I want to do. It is our responsibility to say, God, what can I do? Where can I serve? What is your purpose? What is your calling? And then get busy doing God's work. Amen. Find somewhere to serve. Find somewhere to work. Amen. In the kingdom. And then you'll see God will lead you into what His calling is for your life specifically. Amen. Moving on. Most importantly, what does Jesus call you? He does not just call you according to your past labels. And He does not just give you a new purpose and calling just to help with your self-esteem. What Jesus calls you has meaning. And what Jesus called his disciples had meaning. You know, Simon might have appeared to be shaky and impulsive, and we know from Scripture that he was. You know, when the Romans come to arrest Jesus, he's the dude who pulls out the sword, and he's ready to charge a hell with a water pistol. Right? He was impulsive. He was shaky. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. He's a rock. He's solid. He might do some crazy stuff, but he's going to stay here. He's going to be strong. He's going to be faithful. Amen. Jesus gives each of us a new identity when we come to Him. Amen. We get a new identity from the Lord when we come to Him. The old labels that society has labeled us with, the old labels that family has labeled us with, the things that we carry around in our mind when we come to Jesus, we can lay them down and accept a new identity in Christ. Amen. The Bible says that old things have passed away. All things have become new. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen. There is a new label that God attaches to us. Amen. As we become His disciples and the important thing is is that we cannot live up to the purpose that Jesus has for us if we refuse to see ourselves as he sees us and I say it again we cannot live up to the purpose that Jesus has for us if we will not let ourselves see ourselves as Jesus sees us Amen. We get down in our minds and our hearts sometimes so frustrated about the mistakes and the problems we have in our life and the, the things, that, and perhaps they are even self-caused. But the reality is, is that we are still called to be a disciple. God still has a purpose. God still has a plan. God still has a calling for your life. Amen. And we can fulfill it. We just have to be willing to forsake all and say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength. Amen. Why don't we stand this morning?
You know, we see this in Abram's life. You know, Father Abraham had many sons, the song we used to sing in Sunday school. Many sons had Father Abraham. But did you know when God spoke to Abram and said, I'm going to call your name Abraham because you're going to be a father of many nations? He had zero children. And yet Abraham had to walk by faith. And when someone said, hey, what's your name? I'm Abraham. Oh, so you got lots of kids? Nope, don't ever one. Wow, odd name. Yeah, but God gave it to me, so I'm going to stick with it, amen. God might have given you some names in the past, and for whatever reason, they've maybe been washed away, or you've forgotten, or they've gone, amen. But, you know, you need to start working like your name is what your name is. You're called. You have a purpose, amen. You know, Peter began working for the Lord with a boat ride. That's all it took. That's all he had to do to start following the purpose that God had for him. And then his faith got stretched. And later on, he became his representative, amen. And disciples are not just classroom students, right? This is the thing. Discipleship is not something we just learn in a classroom. It's not something you do a four-week course on and you take a test and congratulations, you're a disciple, amen. But we are trained for a mission like military cadets. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We have a focus. And we have everything we need from Jesus. And so the question today as we get ready to pray is, Jesus is calling. But are we going to respond to his call? Do we believe what he says? We ought to leave behind the old life, amen, and we need to live in the identity that he's given us. Praise the Lord. Why don't we just lift our hands? Hallelujah. Lord, mm, I feel your presence here, Jesus. Father, you have called us to be disciples, Lord God. You have called us to lay aside, Lord, all the heartbreak, the mistakes we've made, Lord God, and and Lord, we've been called to forsake it all. Sometimes, Lord, that means we have to forsake the good things in life. Sometimes that means we have to be willing to turn our back on the bad things in life and, and repent, Lord, and leave that stuff in the past and move on, Lord God, and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, Lord God. I pray for each person that's here today, Lord, that we would be disciples, Lord God, that we would have something in our heart, Lord God, Lord, that would draw us to your word and draw us to you, Lord God, and draw us into relationship with you, Lord God, that something would ignite in our heart, Lord God, to realize, Jesus, that you call people from every background and every story in every situation, Lord, in every culture and tribe, Lord God, and there's no one of us that's better than the other one of us, Lord God, but we are all called, and we all have a purpose, and we all have a reason, Lord, to live for you, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would connect with your presence, and we would connect with your spirit, Lord, and Lord, that we would lay it all down on the line to pursue you, Lord, with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, with everything that we've got, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for our life class today, Lord God. We pray your spirit continues to work in our midst, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus. Uh, and everybody said amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. God bless you. Let's uh, turn around and shake hands with people. Someone you haven't seen for a while or... They're new. Let's go say hello. Amen.